the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming And the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled bend yet for the land of the free and the home of the brave. Hey, folks. Happy 4th of July. This is Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. That was Mary Naiman singing the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, frankly, that is my favorite version ever. So uh, kudos to my lovely wife, Mary. She sings the Star Spangled Banner here. And if you took a knee during that song, come see me. We need to have a big discussion. That's not, that's, there's no craziness going on on this radio program. We don't take the knee on Star Spangled Banner. We respect our country. We respect our heritage. We respect each other. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Get our web, our, our podcast. Get our podcast at firinglineradio.com, firinglineradio.com. They're all free. They all are lined up. And when you start going through some of those podcasts, you're going to hear this gentleman who's been on the show many times before, a favorite guest of mine, the, I was about to call you the executive director again, Rick, I'm sorry, (laughs) (laughs) the director of development for the California Rifle and Pistol Association, Rick Travis. Rick, how are you doing? Wonderful. How are you doing? 
Well, we're doing just fine. Now, if you hear, if you guys hear our, our uh, audio is a little off today because uh, the station's been closed, so we're still doing some Zoom recording. So bear with us on that, if you will. Uh, we're doing the best we can with that. Uh, Rick is down in Southern California. I'm coming from the mountains in the San Bernardino Forest, and we're just going to have a great Fourth of July weekend this week. Correct, Rick? Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful weekend, despite all the things that have been done to try to close it down. But we're going to have a good time. Now, here in the uh, People's Republic of Occupied California, being occupied by liberals such as, uh, you know, Gabby Nuisance and uh, some of the others that are up there, they are actually trying their best to limit people's participation in the Fourth of July weekend, are they not? Yeah, they are. They're doing everything they can, trying to keep this more like a parochial school and telling us what we can and can't do. And I think the governor yesterday was uh, pretty parochial in the way he was trying to say, hey, there's counties like Imperial that are doing wonderful and listening to everything I say and jumping through all my hoops. And then there are those other counties that are on a list who, well, they won't go name, but I happen to live in one of them. In fact, he referred to the city that I live in, Huntington Beach, for being rather uh, obstinate and not following the game plan, which I'm kind of proud of because I love that fact. Exactly. I'm in Riverside County. I love the fact that Riverside County Sheriff is the same way. Now, what exactly is his game plan? Do we have an idea yet? Yeah, he's basically he's compared the economy and our freedoms to a dimmer switch that he solely controls and that he can dial up our rights and dial down our rights just by, you know, the palm of his hand. And I feel that is one of the scariest things I've ever heard out of a politician. You know, right now, uh, we see a lot of people doing mask shaming. If you're not wearing a mask, if you're not complying with a with a request from the government or a mandate from the governor, mandate from the governor that has no scientific bearing or proof on your health, then you're a bad person. I, I just don't quite follow that, you know, especially when you take a look at some of the masks these people have been wearing. They've been wearing them for a couple of months. They are walking Petri dishes. They've probably got more bacteria wrapped around their face than out of their mask that they're carrying. Not only that, but those N95 masks, according to one of the surgeon friends I have, is they're good for use in about 30 minutes in a surgical environment. They're not, they're not ever going to take a virus out of the air. Never. But, but this mask shaming by these scared people trying to force everyone into being compliant, it is... It's the beginning of the end for our free country. So that's my take on it. And actually, I'm right. So that should be your take on it, too, folks. That's just the way life is. So, uh, but if I said it is right, right? Is that correct, Rick? That's for your individual freedom that people fought for almost 250 years ago. So let's talk about the beginning of our country since we're sitting here at the end of our freedoms. Beginning of our country, the United States, it's the 4th of July weekend. We should be celebrating the fact that we live in the best, freest country in the world. A country that is separated from all others by the facts that we recognized early on that our rights do not come from government, but our rights are given to us by our creator. By our creator is how we are endowed with our rights. We give the government the power to enforce laws to protect our rights. 
That's the way the system was designed. Rick, when, when did all this start? You want to give us a little quick history lesson, a couple hundred years yeah. worth? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the history of this country actually starts with us being uh, colonists of Great Britain. And uh, prior to what would become known as the Revolutionary War, which we celebrate part of the outcome of that being our Declaration of Independence, uh, was a war called the French and Indian War here in America called the Seven-Year War globally. Um, in many ways, kind of what we could call the First World War by the definition because it was fought on multiple continents. And that's argued a lot in history classes. Um, one of the things that happened out at the end of it is Great Britain was pretty much broke. And so they really started to tax the, the colonies that had nothing to do with the war other than supporting their, their government and started was, to say, hey, you have to pay your share. It was something like the Seven-Year War cost them like 60 million pounds back in yeah. 1758 currency, right? Yeah, that's a ton of money in today's currency. And so, you know, and there were, there were several key people that had helped out during that fight that would become heroes of the revolution. And, uh, you know, the inner time between the end of the French and Indian War and the beginning of what we know as the American Revolution was a time of multiple taxes, a time of housing British soldiers, you know, people just, the government just walk in and say, hey, we need some rooms, so we're going to put some soldiers in your home. You got to remember, these homes back in the day were not much bigger than three, 400 square foot for the average person, raising a family of four to five, and now you're going to put two more people in there. Um, most of us complain if we don't have at least, you know, a four or 500 foot bed, master bedroom. But imagine your kitchen, your living room, your dining room, your kids, and two unknown guests in that space. The stress levels had to be incredibly high. You're, you're um, right. So let me, let me back this up here. So 1758, we end the uh, the uh, Indian War and the French Indian War, Seven Year War, and then they start trying to figure out how to pay for this by deciding in England that we'll just raise all the taxes that we can, whatever we can think of, with the Mad King George on the colonists because, well. We were protecting them, therefore they should pay their fair share. You ever heard that term before? They should pay their fair share. So the colonies had been operating fairly independently. I mean, they they had their own local governments. They had made their own laws, made their own rules, but they did pay tributes to, to England. And so all of a sudden, for 150 years, these colonies, people born in America, uh, grew up here, lived under this system. And then England comes in with this heavy hand. And the first thing that they hit, I think, was the Stamp Act, correct? Yep. 1765? That's about right, yeah. Yeah. And so this this put a three percent tax on every single piece of paper. If you're reading a newspaper, if you're writing something, writing letters, remember, they didn't have Internet. They didn't have texting. All communication was done on paper. And and uh, the state or the king decided he would just tax that to begin with. And that was a stamp act of 65, which really started a lot of people kind of opening up their eyes, kind of like, I don't know, 2009 with Obamacare and the first TARP Act, I think. They all had a Rick Santori moment. Uh, folks, this is Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. I'm here with my special guest, Rick Travis. We're going to give you a little history lesson for this 4th of July weekend, uh, muskets included. So hopefully you'll stand by on this. We'll be right back after this commercial from Bullseye Sports, Guns and Ammo. Have questions about handgun safety? local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? 
Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice, no sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey, folks, welcome back to Boomstick Radio. This is Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Get our podcast at FiringLineRadio.com. This is the special 4th of July weekend. 4th of July, this is when we have our Declaration of Independence, which we'll get to, and we'll talk about our certain inalienable rights, a couple of them we may be really fond of. But we're going back through the history pages here. I have Rick Travis, the Director of Development of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, and we're kind of going back through the revolutionary times. What happened then? Uh, it's not exactly what the Black Lives Matter activists say happened, but let's go through what happened then. Rick, let's, let's pick it up. We were just talking about um, some of the, the taxes that were being imposed to pay for England's overspending. They obviously come and try and take it on other people. The, the Independent colonists decide that they don't really want to put up with that any longer. And so they do some revolts and they actually win. The Stamp Act gets repealed, uh, but England keeps coming back with more and more insane charges, kind of like the governor of California, just keeps getting weirder and weirder every time. Every day he wakes up, it's, uh, it's the opposite of Groundhog Day. Instead of the same day over and again, he just gets worse and worse every single day. But uh, let's pick it up from there, if you would. Yeah, so we have to realize there are no Americans yet. They're, you know, these are British citizens. So Correct. the citizens at that time had put up with quite a bit. And as we roll towards the Battle of Lexington and Concord, I think it's really important for a lot of people to remember because especially in the, the Second Amendment community, um, this is why the Second Amendment was so important to the founding fathers because you know it wasn't the Boston Massacre where the people were shot by the Redcoats. Um, that were unarmed, you know, by their own government. It wasn't any of these really heinous, over-the-top crimes that were spread throughout the colony that got any one of the, the 13 colonies to go, okay, it's time to pick up arms and go fight. What happened was Thomas Gage, who was the military governor, put in charge of, of the Massachusetts colony, decided that, you know, that we, we shouldn't have firearms. You know, the none of the citizenry should have firearms. And so... You know, he sent his troops, uh, about 700 infantry. They had about 3,000 left in Boston. He sent these 700 crack troops. They were often called the devils, not the redcoats by the colonials. So that tells you where the tension level was. And he sent towards Lexington and Concord because in those two towns was where the people had their armory, where they put all their local firearms that they didn't use for hunting. A lot of people had firearms in their homes, but they also had them 
you know, collected there and uh, their ammunition and, was and, there. And, 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 and why would they, why would they do that? I mean, Lexington Concord is about 16 or 18 miles outside of Boston. So you have to kind of go either by boat or around the peninsula to get all the way out there. But this is in the days of black powder. And you Correct. probably didn't want to have 52 pounds of black powder at your house. Correct. Right. So, so you that's put why it out in the middle of nowhere. So if it went off, <laughs> you didn't have a mass casualty event. Well, and you know, the other important point, especially if you even go there to this day and walk around and look at it, it's exactly what you're saying. And and this is where history is being twisted by people because people are like, well, see, even back in the day, people didn't keep all this stuff in their homes. So people shouldn't have it in their homes. People didn't keep it in their homes for the exact reason. You didn't want to have more than about a pound of powder that you kept, you know, with your firearms inside. The rest of it you stored and you stored it collectively and everybody knew hey, this is where we're putting all of our powder, and everyone protected it. So this is exactly why um, Gage sent the troops in to go confiscating. So this was, you know, the whole idea of gun confiscation and going after your ammunition and your powder. This is where it starts, and this is where it becomes a part of the American conscience that, no, you don't take away our ability to feed our families, our ability to protect ourselves. Because as you said, the closest British regulars to protect those people we're about not just 16 miles, but about five hours away. So the people that were in Lexington Concord, they had to be able to protect themselves if something went wrong. And so what happens well, is and, and they just got through they just got through the French Indian War, where the Indians and the French were just massacring people along the riverfronts. And uh yeah. you know, so they did have all kinds of issues. And we're not just talking about bears and wildcats, we're talking about Indian raiding parties that took settlers out. Yeah, and one of the things that the, the French and the British did that's not often talked about was they cleaned out their jails and turned those people loose on the populace um, during the French Indian War. And, you know, when it was over, they didn't necessarily go back in and say, oh, come on back, we're going to take you back to the Bastille or something. They left them there. And so a lot of those people became known as highwaymen. And that was another thing that the Americans had to deal with. So just like today where we have criminals on the streets, they had They're them back also, then. Yeah, they were also called French Canadians. <laughs> so um one of the things that's really interesting is you know there were only about 80 people that were there um in lexington and concord that would become known as the militia um and where that first shot was heard around the world and like the first hero of that battle in fact if you go there it's a famous statue the nra has used it but it's a famous minuteman statue that's actually uh, a guy named john parker who was the captain of the local militia there. And I want to spend a little time on the local militia. The local militia is not what people try to make it out today. It is not the National Guard, not even close. The local militia would be likened more to a rotten gun club. It was a group of people that got together, went to a local bar or went to a local meeting house, talked about things that were going on in the community, other places. And about once every six months, might actually go to the range and quote drill, which we would call just going to the range and, and practicing fire. It was not practicing marching up and down or doing any of those things at that time period. That would come later. But this idea of a militia being like the National Guard, completely false at that time. You know, that is something that people try to, to bring into a narrative today, but that's not what was going on. And so these were everyday citizens like you would find in your own, you know, tracker homes. 
that would say, oh, let's a group of us go out to you know, the local range together. And so, so well, let's, let's talk about how they got organized. Right. Um, this was April 18th, 1775. The British started marching out of, of Boston to right. 1775, folks. Declaration of Independence had not been written yet. Nope. So the British start marching out and word gets out. And these guys are, are getting up in the middle of the night. They've got, you know, riders are coming by, knocking on doors, getting everybody up and collecting and moving forward. Who are they pulling out of the beds? The farmers, the ranchers, the blacksmiths, the coppersmiths, the glassmakers, you know, the, the book binders. Those are the guys who are making up this what they call the ragtag militia. And the British had no respect for them because they weren't a professional army. They didn't march and line up and play the fife and the drum. They didn't have really bright colors to help you aim at. So, you know, they they had total contempt for them going into this because they knew they were just the common people. Right. And, and one of the things is John Parker, I mean, he has the title captain. That came from his duty during the French and Indian War. So he was the guy with the most military experience that lived in that neighborhood. And what happened was, after the first morning he came from Paul Revere, he sent some scouts out, which were nothing more, as you'll find if you ever go there, nothing more than local farmers. And one of those farmers came back and said, hey, Captain, not only are they coming, but they're coming to enforce, to bring a lot of things with them. And this is when he started having runners go to all the little bars that you can see where there's like four bars between the cities of Concord and Lexington have been perfectly preserved. And that's where he sent uh, the people to say, hey, we've got to gather by the bridge and hold them back from getting to our stores because if they get them, we're just going to be subjugated. And so this is what leads up to what will become known as the battles of Lexington Concord, in which two men will stand out that are two of the guys that I talk about all the time when I travel up and down the state of why no one has the right to ever say they're too old or they don't have what it takes to fight for our rights, not just our Second Amendment rights, but all the rights that are being watered down during this time of COVID-19. Because these two heroes that I'll talk about with you coming up are incredible men because they were not trained. They, they did not have all the experience. They were everyday people that made a tremendous difference in who we are to this very day. And starting with number one. Yeah. So the first guy I love to talk about, uh, and I'll tease out a little bit, is a guy named Samuel Whitmore. And Samuel Whitmore was a farmer. He was a guy that didn't want to get involved. He had listened to all the stuff and he was he, he just wanted to farm. And one of the reasons Samuel Whitmore just wanted to farm was because Samuel Whitmore um, was 78 years old in 1775. And I want people to think about that. It's not 78 today. That's 78 when a lot of people didn't live past 50, 55. That's 78 in dog years. Hey, uh, we're going gonna to have to jump off to the break here. I want to pick this up on the other side, though, so I don't want to cut you too short on it. But Samuel Whitmore, we're also going to talk about, was it Hezekiah? Yeah, Wyman, uh, Hezekiah Wyman. Hezekiah Wyman, too. So we've already talked about John Parker, Hezekiah Wyman, Samuel Whitmore coming up. Folks, check out our website at firinglineradio.com. Get the podcast. Also, go over to crpa.org. They need your help. We're going to talk about how to become a member and why you should be, especially today, 4th of July, signing up to be a member of the CRPA. We'll be right back after this. 
Hi folks, Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Hey folks, Mulan Labe, 4th of July, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show, and you know... That our longtime sponsor, Vince Torres at Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, is waiting for you to come on down there and exercise your Second Amendment rights. This is the place you need to go for long arms, short arms, big arms, small arms, all the great things that you need to defend yourself and your rights this 4th of July, 2020. You know, we don't know what's coming next. We've had murder hornets. We have the Sahara dust storm. I just heard about meth alligators. Folks, you need to be armed for protection. So head on down to Bullseye Sports, Guns and Ammo, Riverside, corner of Brockton and Arlington, 951-823-0211, bullseyesport.com. Check out their schedule of training classes and go see events. Don't buy one, buy two. Talk to you all later. Have a great day. Go see events. Hey, folks, Philip Damon, Fireland Radio Show here. We are going through the 4th of July show, and I've got Rick Travis, a, a Director of Development for California Rifle and Pistol Association, who's given us a great history lesson. And I want you all to appreciate the fact that he's giving it, not me, because he's doing a way, way better job. Now, we talked about a couple of people here that uh, you want to highlight about how they were involved, how their physical limitations were not limitations, and how they just got up and did it. And Hezekiah Weinman, you want to start with him? And no, Samuel. I was going to finish up with Samuel Whitmore first. Samuel Whitmore, get... yeah, the 78-year-old. So, yeah, so Samuel Whitmore, he's 78 years old on April 19th. And okay, so, background... so, so that means he was born in 1697. Uh, 1696, actually. Okay, so he was waiting on his next birthday. So he's almost 79, 1696 this guy was born. Right. Wow. Yeah, and so he had he had... Actually, this guy's an incredible guy because he had actually fought during the French and Indian War at the age of 64 and helped assist capturing one of the fortresses in Lewisburg and uh, later was fighting against Chief Pontiac, who was a big uh, player during that war. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, he would talk to people how war wasn't, wasn't a good thing to do. It was horrible. He didn't want to ever be part of another war which is why he wasn't on the side of his British country at that time. And he was definitely sympathetic towards the revolutionary cause, but he was like, I'm too old for this crap. I'm not going to get involved. And let me, let me, let me back you up here. He was fighting against chief Pontiac. Yeah. 
you know, that's an Indian name, right? Correct. And isn't Pontiac the division of General Motors that Barack Obama shut down? Once uh-huh. again, depriving Native Americans of their heritage. Yep. I think we should destroy all statues of Barack Obama just for that one thing. <laughs> okay, moving on. So, so looking at what is going on with this uh, battle is as the British are coming through, he literally goes and says, hey, please don't trample my corn because the British are, they're not just marching down. They are, they're picking a fight. You know, so they're just marching where they feel like, and they start to go through his corn. And this is where I want to slow it down a little bit, because he has two dueling pistols that he carries on him, and he also had his musket. And neither of these firearms in the day had rifling. Anybody, I'm a big fan of black powder um, rifling. I have some replicas. I also have a firearm that's been passed down in our family that's almost 200 years old. And I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, they're not accurate like what work used to. You have to know that firearm to know where to aim it. And you also have to think about his age. You know, again, he's 78, almost 79. So as we age, we're not as good at holding things steady. And what happens is as they start to come through, he says, knock it off. They don't listen. He pulls out the rifle, fires, and he drops one of the British Dragoons, which are the guys that ride the horses. Immediately, they send a detachment towards him, which was the Grenadiers, which are part of the 47th Regiment of Foot, and he pulls the dueling pistols and kills two more. And he's he's behind the little stone wall. Uh, they come after him. As he's reloading, he fires a third shot and then goes to pull his sword, and it's at this point that the British um, Grenadiers surround him. They bayoneted him at least nine times smacked him in the head with the butts of their muskets and left him there to die. And this is where I want people to think about, because there's a Dr. Cotton Tufts who comes to his his side about 30 minutes later. So here's a guy who's been bayoneted, beat in the head, and then literally shot. Part of his face is not there. And this is medicine in 1775. We don't have respirators, don't have paramedics, don't have anything. And he's, again, almost 79. The doctor works on him, saves his life, which is miraculous. And Whitmore doesn't stop. He lives another 18 years and dies of old age at 96. But what's more important is by the time that we signed the Declaration of Independence, Whitmore is actually fighting. He fights the rest of the war. At 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, he is out there marching with the 19 and 20-year-olds fighting. And this is why I look at people when they say, hey, I'm too old for this crap. I'm going to leave California. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's somebody else's turn. I bring up Samuel Whitmore and say, when you're willing to put it all on the line like that, man, then you can quit. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) we see it. We see, you know, we we see people leaving. You know, everybody's leaving California. But the the fact is, folks, we're in one country and the two idiot senators, and I mean that exactly the way it came out, will vote in California on all federal law. So if you can't replace them in California, they are always going to be voting against your interests. We have to change them here. The same thing with your congresspeople. We have to have turnover. We have to get rid of all these anti-gun, anti-freedom 
anti-freedom. And if you don't think that these people are anti-freedom with this mask ordinance and everything else and stay at home forever and just depend upon the government's uh, 600 bucks a week and that's all you're going to get and hopefully there'll be some toilet paper eventually. Seriously, is this is this the country that we were left? Is this what we're going to turn over to our grandchildren? Um, just do what the man says? Or, or what happened to our freedoms? What happened to our free expression, our free will? The left always says that they're for freedom and do everything. They just want to do everything crazy. And then they want to control everything that's sane. And we just want to have the ability to be left alone. This guy, uh, Samuel Whitmore, all he wanted to do was grow his corn. They had to mess with them, right? And then they ended up getting the wrong end of that stick. But that's what happens is we, these common people stand up when enough has had enough. Let's go over Hezekiah, if you would, Chief. Yeah. So, uh, and the one thing I wanted to finish is do remember too, Whitmore went out and he helped lead recruitment and everything else. And this is with a grossly disfigured face because we didn't have plastic surgery back in 1775 and on. And you know, people came up to him, and that's why he is to this day memorialized in Medford, Massachusetts. They have a big statue with the disfigured face and everything. And hopefully, no one pulls that down because that man was incredible. But he wasn't the only incredible guy that day. There was another guy um, that I think is wonderful. In fact, for people like you and I that love to do long distance shooting, I find him fascinating. His name's Hezekiah Weinman. Um, he's 55 years of age at that time. And uh, when the British started to advance on the Winchester area, which is right in that same Lexington Concord. He uh, and about eight other guys responded. So here's Wyman, and Wyman's got what's called a Pennsylvania rifle. It's, you know, the big long rifle. Again, no, no rifling in it. And he has a draft horse. And for people to understand, that's a big horse. It's kind of like a Clydesdale. They're designed to Belgian. The Belgian, yeah. yeah. These things are not small horses. And the thing is white. And which is why he is known to this day as the White Horseman, because the British are the ones that tell his story. This guy struck fear in Great Britain's top guards at Gage Scent to secure you know, the, the powder and the firearms at Lexington Concord, because he gets up on his horse with his rifle and his powder and his ball and starts galloping after the British as they start to retreat, because these 80 militiamen are pushing back these crack troops even though they're outnumbered five and seven to one, depending where you're out on the battlefield. And the British called him death on a pale horse because what he started doing was riding up on hills and shooting at the British soldiers and dropping them with one shot. And, you know, this is a time when the British would have two, three lines, you know, somebody on their knees, somebody kind of bent over and someone standing and they would fire a volley trying to hit you. And this guy is one shot at a time. And these shots are fatal. And this is a, a, an interesting look at both uh, the marksmanship of early America, and it's also a tribute to this guy because, again, he's 55. And back then, in, in that time period, this is the time where, you know, people were winding down their lives, not going, you know, getting up, going to war, sign up. And so this guy is incredible to me because he just keeps fighting. Absolutely. Folks, this is Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. You need to get in the fight. Also, go to crpa.org and sign up. Become a member. Become a proud member. Sign up your friends. Sign up your shooting mates. Everybody that you talk to, ask them, why are you not a member? You know, uh, what side are you on? Let's be on the right side. Be on the crpa.org. We'll be right back after this. AM 590, the answer.
This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Bonan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. And to celebrate your freedoms in what is still the freest country on earth. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show, FiringLineRadio.com. We also have Instagram and Facebook, as long as they're going to allow us to be on there. But we're talking with Rick Travis, Director of Development of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. This is our 4th of July show. We were just talking about uh, Hezekiah Weinman, 55 years old, on a giant white horse, chasing the British back. They chased him back 18 miles, and I think there was seven or several hundred of the British died on that particular day. I think Weinman, you told me earlier, was uh, credited with at least 30 uh, right. British soldiers himself. And this so is, on, yeah, go ahead. Well, he's on this hill. He's shooting him with his rifle. But remember, this is a smooth bore musket. The projectiles are always not perfectly round. So if you've ever played high-level baseball and had to try and hit a knuckleball, that's kind of what he's shooting. Is he shooting knuckleballs at these guys? Not that they could see him coming in, but his accuracy has to be so spot on in the middle because the ball is going to have some kind of variance in a six or eight inch circle, right? Yeah, and they're and they're fifty eight caliber balls that he's shooting. So fifty eight. <laughs> That's almost the diameter of a twelve gauge shotgun. It's about the diameter of a twenty gauge. Yeah, and so it's. I mean, you know, it's a it's a big round that he's firing. He, he actually is moving from hell to hell on this big target. And that's one of the things that's so interesting is because he's an old guy on a big horse. He makes a big target, you know, that most people would want to have to shoot at. And the British don't hit him. They try to, to run some bayonets towards him. He, he drops a couple of those people. He runs out of ammo. He literally just, from what the British said, he, he nonchalantly got off the horse, picked up ammo from some of their people. <laughs> and started using it on them. He follows them all the way down to the Charleston, which is the, the waterway between Boston and that area, and starts picking them off and starts shooting their officers and was credited with outright killing one of the officers, which at that time in warfare, officers were never to be fired upon. Right. right. And here's yeah. an, a British citizen firing on a British officer, and he's telling him, go back and don't come back. And he does that the whole way through. After this battle, though, he only lives for a couple of more years and then passes away from old age. And that's one of the things that in these guys that I wanted to point out, like I said at the beginning, 55, you were considered to be at, you know, the last couple of moments. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 56. I resemble that remark. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's, that's what is so interesting when you, you know about these guys. These are guys that were... They were not giving up. They were not giving in. And they were standing side by side with the younger generation, their children, and sometimes their grandchildren in this. And they would continue to do that. And we have to remember, this wasn't Americans against the British, which is what's unfortunately portrayed even in the modern media. This was British citizens against their government who tried to take away their firearms and their rights. That's what kicks off the war. That's what sets up the Battle of Bunker Hill that will follow a couple of days later. I mean, that's what starts this whole mess that led to this wonderful country. Paul Revere did not go riding from the church on the north side of of Boston screaming the British are coming because everybody was British. 
Right. So he had to have said something else, but they'd be like, oh, who's that drunk guy? Yeah. Uh, no. So it, it's interesting to me that, oh, well, one other thing that they did right after this is they tore down a giant statue of King George. All right. Yep. But not only was it symbolic, but they took this thing, cut it up, and made 42,000 rounds of ammunition for the militia. Now, right. that's recycling. That makes sense to me, right? You know, uh, they took his statue and actually melted it down and shot at his soldiers with it. Exactly. And I, I, I find it so interesting that, you know, today you can go and walk along, you know, the Freedom Road inside Boston, go up to the battle uh, where Bunker Hill, which was actually, I think, Breeze Hill, where it was actually yeah, fought. Breed, Breed, Breed Hill, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's misnamed, yeah. Yeah, you can you can go out to Lexington and Concord, and here is you know the grounds that brought the the flag that was all divided up together as one, you know the join and die flag that Franklin put together. This is what coalesced those those different colonies. They were all bickering over everything, and as they move into the Continental Congresses, this is the one thing that keeps coming up is what happened at Lexington and Concord. This is what causes Washington to leave his home in Virginia and and try to become the general that he would become and lead us. And now, you know, we got people wanting to tear down his statue. And I think a lot of it is because Americans of themselves are so disconnected from their history, their actual history, and looking at that history in the context of the time. You can't look at what Washington, Hezekiah, you know, Sam Whitmore, John Parker did based on a 2020 vision. You have to go back and look at it based on a 1760s to 1780s vision. You have to look at the context of the time and go, wow, these guys weren't the people that people are trying to rewrite history with today. No. And there wasn't any voting. There wasn't any republic. You know, you were under a monarchy. And it's interesting that trail, um, I think there's 12 different stops, Freedom Trail in Boston. It is amazing. When When you go through it, you can't. You can't, if you're an honest American citizen here, you can't go through it and not be affected by what you see. And the history that's there, and you pass through Sam Adams' grave and John Adams' grave and Ben Franklin, not Ben Franklin, but a couple of other people that are such Paul huge Revere. historic. Yeah. Paul Revere's house is there. You know, um, matter the of fact, Green Dragon Tavern is one of my favorite places because, as we talked before the show, you can actually go and sit where Sam Adams and some of these other famous members, including Tom Jefferson, had been there. But it was this local bar that sits in this triangle area in old Boston that's still been preserved. I think the bar was built like in the 1650s. So it was already like almost 100 years old at the time they were sitting in it. And it's just so incredible because up on the wall, when my wife and I were there a year ago, there was one of Sam Adams's pistols right there. And this is in Massachusetts that won't allow their people to have a gun. But the gun that was helped find this country is sitting right up there next to you where you can have a beer or a shot of whiskey. And, and Sam Adams, he was a really interesting guy. I mean, he was an absolute rabble rouser, which I loved the most about him. But uh, John Adams is, was his brother, right? Not his cousin? Yeah, yeah his brother. Cousin. So It was his cousin. So, yeah, yeah John Adams ends up uh, on the diplomatic side of things, and he actually even defends the people involved in the Boston Massacre and quits the British peoples. They, they weren't looking for a fight. They were looking to get England off their necks. 
But then the idea of a free country, you know, Thomas Paine kind of wrote his, his special book uh, about that and kind of introduced the idea of we actually can throw off the yoke of tyranny and, and create something. Now, we're not talking about the, the ding-dongs that were up there in Seattle trying to create autonomy off of somebody else's property by confiscating it at the force of arms with walls all the way around and a lawless orgy of stupidity. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who understood their place, meaning that they they respected each other because they knew that we were placed here on earth for a purpose by a, by a purposeful creator. And that came first. And as, as Benjamin Franklin talked about, once they've done the declaration and created the constitution, he was asked, what kind of government do we have? He says, a republic, if you can keep it. So we've got two minutes left here. Rick, I'm going to let you finish on that thought about how do we keep it? Well, actually, I want to, I want to drop one last thing and just for you, Phil, because I know you love long distance shooting. So what do you think was the longest shot that Hezekiah Wyman took off of his horse with that rifle? that has, was confirmed by both the British and by the people that fought there because we know the two points? I, I honestly have no idea. But iron sights. fifty yards. Yeah, iron sights. Your front post covers the entire person at person-sized target at 250 yards. yards without rifling. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It kind of makes me feel bad on some of the days I haven't had a good day at the range. I'm like, wow, I really suck. But anyways, um, yeah, it is so important. And one of the things I wanted to throw out is we have a donor that is willing to match the money for the people to become members from your radio show. So during the month of July, if people sign up for membership at crpa.org and they scroll down and put Firing Line Radio as the source, we have a donor that will match the funds of the people that join and become members. So it's a great way for your, your um, listeners to take part and to help us out in this fight for your rights, not just here in California, because as California goes, so does the nation. So we're actually fighting for everybody's Second Amendment rights nationwide. Absolutely. So crpa.org. Guys, take advantage of this. What a, what a blessing this is to have somebody step up and put that out to see how many people we can get signed up. Love to see 50, 100. I don't know what, how about 1,000? 1,000 new yeah. members be good? That'd be great. <laughs> we don't want to make the donor go broke, but we do want to take advantage of the situation and get some funds in and become a member. Rick Travis, Director of Development, thank you so much. CRPA.org. If you haven't joined by now, you are behind the time. Get on it, folks. Happy Fourth of July and God bless. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.